This is the best of daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson from Believer's Church in Menominee, Wisconsin. Go to jfbelievers.com for more information. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, begins in the middle of the events and the conversation that was occurring there in the upper room between Jesus and his apostles. In chapter 13, Judas had just been exposed by Jesus and had left the room, and Jesus continued in his conversation and his address to the apostles that were left. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says, specifically to Peter perhaps and uh, to the others also, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many homes. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be there also. Now, this is one of those places where I think the chapter break is rather unfortunate. Everyone who uh, is generally familiar with these words spoken by Peter I think would agree, I mean, they are certainly ominous prophetic words which would, or at least should, take any man's breath away. We need to note that Jesus never throws his children to the wolves, never throws them out without a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, quote, No temptation has taken you except what is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may endure it. End quote. Now, Jesus speaks words of comfort here to Peter, and no doubt, as I said, to all that were there. They had, up until this point, uh, in the ministry of uh, spreading the gospel. They have shared, uh, or have had their share, rather, of trials and persecutions. But none would compare to what they would face in the subsequent coming days, where it would appear, I think, that the world was literally falling apart before them. They all had built something that would now seem to be unraveling in front of them. Despite how things appeared, however, this was not the end. In truth, it was rather the moment of victory. Now, they didn't understand at that moment, but they would in time. Despite all they faced, Jesus would encourage them, Do not let your heart be troubled. I believe he is telling us the same thing today. You believe in God? Believe in me. I think it's easy to become fearful in times of uncertainty, to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus instead upon the storm. It is in those times we find ourselves sinking beneath the waves. Our troubles seem to always stem from living for this life only, seeing only today, and forgetting that we're only here for a while and this world is not our home. Our Lord is preparing a place where we can and will live forever together. A place where there will be no more tears and no more crying. Revelation 21.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. 
Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The first things have passed away. Again, Jesus says, I will come again. Yes, sometimes I think we really need to be reminded of that fact. Verse 4 goes on saying, You know where I go, and you know the way. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now Jesus, in those verses, reminds them, You know where I'm going. But apparently Thomas didn't. Jesus was simply returning home, and indeed they did know the way there, for they had discussed the matter many times. Notice that the focus on the statement Jesus makes here was not on heaven, but rather on the fact that we will be with him in that place. Think of that for a minute. We'll be living with Christ forever. Imagine that scene. When you are with him, what will you say and what do you think he'll say to you? Will your Savior be proud of you? Often our question is that if he is coming, what is taking him so long? Where is he? It seems almost as if the Lord is waiting until humanity has finished its struggle, until we have burnt ourselves out trying to find fulfillment and happiness in the things of this world and the ways of this world. If so, I think it's going to get real messy until then, for my man is so prideful and so stubborn. Yet certainly all of us must come to the end of ourselves, both individually and humanity as a whole. If we don't, well, we would never find joy in heaven, assuming we did manage to get there. Unless he is our everything, we will forever be thinking of life back in Egypt. You know, ah, the leeks and the onions. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I think few verses encompass so much in so few words. If there was any ambiguity in the minds of the apostles, or furthermore in the minds of mankind today, as to just who Jesus was saying he was, well, this should settle it once and for all. No, Jesus was not trying to be merely a good teacher or a prophet or a guru, or to lead man to a better state of living on this earth. He is stating that he is literally the door to life and life eternal. And that there was, there is, no other. Clearly, Christianity can never be lumped together with the innumerable religions of man's invention. Indeed, there are not many ways to God. There is but one, and his name is Jesus. In fact, eternal life is not found in a religion at all. It is not found in a creed or a set of rules. Life is found in the person of Christ alone, and without him on the throne of our lives, well, we'll never know it. Jesus did not come to show us the way, gang. He came to be the way. Now, certainly many churches today, a lot of them with full houses, frankly, are preaching the Christian way, but sadly, few of them are preaching Jesus as the door to that way. Few of them are holding the line as to the throne of Christ, that he is to be the Lord of our lives, not just the Savior from our guilt of sin, that he is the way to heaven, the truth in the world of lies, and the life that we all seek in the depth of our souls. One of the greatest criticisms ever leveled at Christianity is that it is too narrow. 
But there's no other understanding unless we, as many today are trying to do, reinvent faith in God as a broad way, encompassing faiths of all persuasions and interpretations of various stripes. But Matthew 7:13 says, "Enter in by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter in by it." Verse 7 going on says, "If you have known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you know him and have seen him." And Philip said to him, "Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us." And Jesus said to him, "Have I been with you such a long time and you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father. How do you say show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I tell you I speak not from myself, but the Father who lives in me does his works. Now Jesus is essentially here in claiming that he is the human embodiment of the heavenly Father. How can that be? Well, I I don't have any explanation beyond what we are told. If we could understand all there is to the Godhead, we would be equal with God. We fall terribly short in this area, don't we? We are told clearly that we cannot reach God through any other path and any other method than salvation of Christ. Unless a man be born again, he cannot ever see God and know his kingdom. John 3:3 says John answered him most certainly, or Jesus, excuse me, answered him, most certainly I tell you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see God's kingdom. Apparently, Philip wanted more. Like many who have followed him, he wanted to see the magic to, I don't know, witness the miraculous, maybe to have God in flesh present himself at the front door. Many will assert yet even today that Jesus never claimed to be God. But here he states for all to hear, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How many of us are still looking for the answers today because we are failing to see Jesus right in front of us? We reject his handiwork and we refuse the living proof of his deity that is evidenced in all of us who have been rescued. So many instead seek well a different path even within the realm of Christianity. They want to tweak it here and you know adjust the knobs there to make the whole issue just a little more palatable to themselves and their friends. Oh, they want heaven, but they don't really want to share it with the Jesus that we read of in the Bible. They would never openly and publicly say that, but at least so bluntly, these folks just can't come to see God in the path Jesus presents. You know, the path of dying to self and allowing oneself to uh have God's sovereign control and to live a life of humility and simplicity and obedience and holiness. Yes, we want God. But frankly, we just don't want Jesus. So Philip asks, "Show us the Father." All the while, he was right there in front of them all. You see, Philip wasn't satisfied with what he saw in Jesus, nor with what he had received in Jesus. At least not at this point. Walking by faith was not enough. Philip wanted to see astounding and spectacular things in the person who appeared in a dazzling form. How many of us are even now still seeking a flashy god one who delivers an earthly stuff the the pleasures of the world and the ease of life and eternal life well 
This desire draws us to churches, therefore, that present products of slick performance, a professional delivery, a pop sermonette, if you will. Yet the message Jesus is giving is still the same. Humility, servitude, love of others over ourselves, holiness, sanctification, dedication. That was our daily devotions by Pastor Tim Dodson. To learn more about Tim Dodson or Believer's Church, visit jfbelievers.com.